Good morning, Westside. Welcome to church, everybody. Welcome to Trinity. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, specifically um, over the area of education, the life of our church. Such a gift to get to be with all of you and uh, wrap up our study this morning in 2 Timothy. If you've been here, we've been going through this uh, short letter of Paul's for the last number of weeks, and we're going to wrap that up today. So if you have Bibles, go ahead and turn there to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just going to note that I am wearing my alpha shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if you, in case you're not familiar with alpha, I, I just want to be clear. I do not presume to be an alpha myself. This is not why I am wearing this shirt. Uh, alpha is, you know, but if it's true, it's true, I guess. Um, alpha is a course that we offer here at Trinity and actually all over the world. It's a course devoted to exploring the teachings of Jesus and how they intersect with the big questions of life. And it is becoming increasingly one of our favorite um, parts of our life together here at Trinity. And it is coming. It is going to um, be happening in January of the new year. You'll be hearing more about that over the weeks to come. But we are excited, both about Alpha and um, what the Lord is doing in our church. I think um, Alpha is one part of that, but just feels like a very exciting time for us here at Trinity. So we're going to read and see what the Lord has for us. We'll pray. We'll start in verse 6. Paul writes, As for me, I am already being poured out as as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, Will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Short and sweet, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit is a gift uh, to be in your house, to be, uh, Lord, here with you in your presence. And now, Lord, to sit with your word, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, would you move through it? Jesus, will you be among us? God is our teacher. We pray, Lord, for eyes and ears that can see you and hear you this morning. I pray, Lord, for tender hearts so that what we see and hear, Lord, can make its way into the deepest parts of us. And I pray, God, this morning that all in our lives, Lord, that needs to be conformed and changed, Lord, that all those things we will offer up to you, that we'll see them clearly and that we'll feel the freedom that we need, Lord, to feel in order to push our whole lives in front of you and say, come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray and do all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, For the last several weeks, we've gone through this uh, rather short letter um, written by the Apostle Paul uh, to Timothy, someone whom he loved very much, calls his his beloved son. Timothy was to him um, a kind of spiritual son, someone he'd had the opportunity to watch grow up and grow in the Lord. And now Paul is writing uh, at the end of his life, or near-ish the end of his life. He believed to be at the end of his life. He's in prison. And 
um, death feels imminent. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy effectively um, to pass the baton, as it were. This uh, whole letter reads like a father who um, expects himself to be dying soon and wants to pass on his life's work to the son that um, he leaves behind. And so um, it's a really beautiful letter, a really poignant letter, and also um, very practical because um, Paul is set out to make sure that Timothy knows exactly what it means and what it will look like for him to sort of follow in his footsteps uh, as it were. So we've been calling this a study here at Trinity over the last few weeks, um, a study in the, on the habits of the church. In other words, um, what, is, what is the stuff, what are the things that Paul called Timothy to actually do that would make him a man who could follow in Paul's footsteps, who could carry on this, this life of, of following Jesus? Paul starts off his letter um, by making a couple of analogies. Um, he likens the work of a Christian, the work of an apostle for him uh, in three ways. He likens it to uh, the work of a soldier, the work of an athlete, the work of a farmer. And he uses uh, that analogy, kind of picks it back up now here at the end of his letter. And he says, um, and if, and if, in some, I've, I've lived my life that way. I've lived my life, um, I've fought the good fight like a soldier, I've... Um, finish the race like a good athlete, and I've kept the faith like a farmer keeps his land. And it's interesting, I think, that Paul uses this analogy, these images on purpose, because what they all uh, share in common, even though individually each of them would be inadequate, you know, it's not sufficient to just say, well, being a Christian is like being a soldier, ish, in some ways, yes, and not entirely, and being a Christian is like being an athlete, yes, but not in, in every way. When you put them together, I think we get it, maybe what Paul had in mind, which was to say, each of these lifestyles, what they have in common, the farmer, the soldier, and the athlete, are that they are people who have devoted themselves to a goal, and that goal has really dictated the way that they live their life. They, their whole life has been shaped by the pursuit of that goal. Uh, and that's really interesting because what that means then is that Paul is saying to be a Christian is like that. It means that we have a goal and that our, our lives are then in effect shaped by, our whole life, shaped by the pursuit of that goal. Which sort of, I think, for us, begs the question, well, is that true then? Um, is that true for me? Is that true for us as a church? And as I was thinking about this... Um, I've known soldiers and athletes and farmers. Uh, the one that really comes to mind for me was uh, my grandfather. My grandfather was a farmer. He was literally Farmer Jones. It's my maiden name. And um, so I grew up hearing people uh, refer to him. He was kind of like a, a locally renowned farmer. You know, he had a, a lot of land. He, by the time I uh, knew him, it was mostly just gardening, but he had been a farmer all of his life. And uh, by the time I knew my grandfather, he was permanently stooped over like this, you know. I never saw him stand upright, and um, a lot of reasons for that, but uh, no doubt in part, his life as a farmer contributed to that. He'd spent decades um, bent over, stooped over the soil, and so not only was he bent over sort of permanently, he um, also whistled almost like incessantly to himself, Um, and because he was very old, you know, it didn't really sound like whistling, to be honest. It was more like, this is, you know, just... uh, kind of like wheezing through his teeth a little bit. I'm sure to him it sounded like whistling. And that's how I remember my grandfather sort of stooped over and like whistling all 
um, to himself. And, it, you know, I remember hearing my, my dad say one time, well, he whistles now all the time because he spent so many hours by himself out in the fields. And that's what he did. He whistled. He sang songs. Um, and so that now it just become, was like a ceaseless part of who he was. He did it all the time. There was no part of my grandparents' home that was not in some way marked by my grandfather's life as a farmer. Um, there were seed packets strewn everywhere, um, little seedlings in every window seal in the house. Uh, the whole house sort of just had this pervasive smell of soil, dirt. And I never saw my grandfather, true, I never saw him wear anything except overalls. Not a day in his life. It did not matter the occasion. That man wore overalls, end of story. And it's because he was a farmer. That's just who he was. His whole lifestyle um, sort of bound up in that. And here's what really gets me about, about that, about my grandpa in, in particular, is that it wasn't, you know, whenever we went out to, like, gather in all the yield of all of his efforts, the fruits of his labors, where he was most a farmer. I think this is connected to Paul's point, right? That's not when he was most a farmer, when my, my grandpa was most a farmer, when he was doing the farming, was all the hours bent over the soil, the pulling out, you know, the putting in the seed, all the, the bending over and the working and the digging, and that, that was the farming. The gathering and the yield was, you know, that's not what makes a person a farmer any more than, you know, showing up on game day and winning the trophy makes you an athlete, um, you know. You're not an athlete just because you got a trophy just like everybody else. And you wore the jersey. That's not the part that makes you an athlete. The part that makes you an athlete is all the training, all the practice. It's the love of the game, you know. And I think what Paul is saying, similarly, when Paul, who now is standing at the end of his life, and he's looking forward to this moment when he's going to like stand in front of Jesus, he's reflecting on this long obedience in the same direction, how he's lived his life as a Christian. And here's what I want to say about that. When Paul died and went to stand in before the presence of Jesus to receive his crown of righteousness, Paul did not stand there in that moment as a Christian. That was not him at his most Christian. Uh, there will be no Christians in heaven. There will only be sons and daughters. To be Christian is to spend your life pursuing and in pursuit of Jesus. It's the daily practice of keeping company with him, pursuing and looking after him. When I go and stand before my Lord and with a brighter, clearer vision see his face, face to face, the pursuit will be over. All of my being Christian will be everything that happened up to and prior to that point. And so here's why I am saying all of that. Because for me and you then, what that means Regardless of what you call yourself, what marks you as a Christian is not what you believe and is not what is going to happen to you when you die. That's not what marks you as a Christian. And the reason that we're talking about the habits of our faith is because to be a Christian is to pursue and keep company with Jesus in my life every day, now. And that to you may sound like sort of, you know, a little obvious. But is it, is it true? 
Because if it is not true, and here's what I feel like the Lord just sort of relentlessly has been pressing home for me. It does not matter what I know. It does not matter what my title is. It does not matter what my aspirations are, as lofty as they may be. If I am not in the practice of keeping company with Jesus, of following him as a living Lord, then I am not living as a Christian, period. Regardless of what I call myself. Dallas Willard, who you have heard us talk about over and over here, and he wrote this, wrote this beautiful book called The Great Omission. And I want to read you a quote. He says this, However we may understand the details, there can be no doubt on the biblical picture of human life that we were meant to be inhabited by God and to live by a power beyond ourselves. That's what it means to be human, to be inhabited by God and to live by a power beyond ourselves. Human problems cannot be solved by human means. Human life can never flourish unless it pulses with the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. That's a quote from Ephesians. Only constant students of Jesus will be given adequate power to fulfill their calling to be God's person for their time and their place in this world. I'm going to read it to you again because it's not just true of you individually. It's true for us corporately as a church. Only the constant students of Jesus will be given adequate power to fulfill their calling to be God's person or church for their time and their place in this world. They are the only ones who develop the character which makes it safe to have such power. Someone will say, can I not be saved? That is, get into heaven when I die without any of this. Perhaps you can. God's goodness is so great. I am sure that he will let you in if he can find any basis at all to do so. But you might wish to think about what your life amounts to before you die, about what kind of person you're becoming, and about whether you really would be comfortable for eternity in the presence of the one whose company you have not found especially desirable for the few hours and days of your life here. I can say to you um, that when I read things like that, that I am immediately tempted to be defensive and frustrated. I can hear the litany of all of the things that stands between me and being the thing or the person that he has in mind. It's a well-rehearsed list. I'd share it with you, but yours is the same as mine. And so I, that's my temptation, immediately to respond that way. And here's what feels so good about where I am, where we are, I believe, increasingly as a leadership in our church, is that all that being true, the Lord's intention is not to shame But put most simply, there is an invitation for us to be people who are filled by the power of God. Do we want it? You get to answer that question. Do you want to be the kind of Christian who keeps company with Jesus in a way that fills your life with real power to be who you're meant to be? If you don't know the answer to the question, that's fine. There is not judgment for you. But if you would say, yes, I do want to be that person, then what the Lord wants you to do is to take very seriously what stands between your yes and the fulfillment of that yes. Where is the gap? Why does it exist? 
And what do we do about closing it? Being really committed to closing it. Honest, practical about closing it. I think we have done that, have, have strived to do that really well as a church. It's one of the things I have always loved about being here is that being Christian was not just something that I knew or that I felt, but a life that I was called to live. And the same is true for you, whether you've been here forever or you're very new. For us as a church, we want to be people who are living out this life as Christians, and that has everything to do with our actual practice of the thing. The other day, we were with our bishop, Todd Hunter, um, a number of us, and he came and he sat down at the table and he said, um, you know, in a, a way only bishops can really, he said, tell me, as a church, what do you hope to achieve, what do you hope to preserve, and what do you hope to avoid? Which I would submit to you are pretty great questions for you to be asking yourself. What do you hope to achieve? What do you hope to preserve? What are you trying to avoid? And we all sat and we all reflected on that question. And here's what we came up with. What we know to be true is that we desire, we want to be a church that is an outpost for the kingdom of heaven. Which means we want to be people who are so filled with God's spirit that when people come into this place where we all sit together, there is the sense that they are in the presence of Jesus. That something otherworldly happens here because all of you are here together. That Jesus maybe just is, in fact, who he claims to be. That our collective presence could, in fact, preach and speak to the gospel just because of who we are. We want this church to be that kind of place, which means that I then have to do my part to be that kind of person. What are we trying to preserve? We want to preserve a, like, prophetic witness in the city, I want to, as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, which means this, I want to be in this world along it, alongside of it, with it. I want the world to know that I love the world. I love this city. I love our culture. I am so thankful for it, but I am not of it. I also have to, at times, stand apart from it. And the only way that I know when and how to do that is if I am daily keeping company with Jesus. What are we trying to avoid? Stagnation. Just spiritual stagnation. Individually and corporately. We want to avoid those things. And again, the way that we do that is to keep company with Jesus as someone who lives and loves and is leading us every single day. Now... You have heard us say all of that before. That is not rocket science to any of you or news to any of you. You've heard that said. Here's the reason that it feels so important to say it again. Because if we're going to have a long obedience in the same direction, both individually and as a church, I think the enemy would work very hard to have us overthink what that looks like and make it much more complicated than it actually really truly is. Because as soon as we start talking about, you know, being a person filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, being an outpost for the kingdom, being a prophet, it all starts to sound very scary and intimidating. Oh, no. I'm just too tired for any of that. Where will the energy and the effort, where will it all come from? Just couldn't possibly. And I I just want you to know that I, I get it. 
and also feel really compelled by the Lord to just say it's not true in Jesus' name. Because here's what we're getting at. Um, when I was an athlete, and I was an athlete for time of my life, um, there were things that I had to do every single day as a part of my life as an athlete. Every single day I did these things. There were other things that I did occasionally, less regularly, but they were also very important. But every single day there were certain fundamentals, things I had to do. And I could tell you what they were without thinking. Do you know what your fundamentals are as a Christian? Reading your Bible and praying. You thought I was going to say something exciting. You're wrong. That's just it. I'm just going to say praying and reading your Bible. Those are our fundamentals every single day. And you know what's so crazy about that? Is that the more I sit with people and I ask, are you able to pray and read your Bible every day? You know how many of us say no? So many of us. And so that's why we're spending this time like coming back to this most fundamental thing because we, I believe, are meant to do a thing in this city with my life, with your life, with our collective life. And so we're going to have to figure this out. It's why Chris talks so much about what it looks like for him to keep company with Jesus, to demystify it, make it common, accessible. So what I want to do For the umpteenth time, some of you will be thinking, dear God, are they going to tell us to read the Bible again and pray? Yes. Yes, I am. Going to say it again. Because we are just going to make a commitment as a church to be a church who are known for their devotion to Jesus, their daily devotion to Jesus, so that we can be a church known for the things that we are doing in this city. The way we love. Our acts of justice. But it has always been for Paul, for Timothy, for everybody rooted in these fundamental things. Um, When you read your Bible, here's one of the reasons that I think that we're struggling so hard. is because when we go and we sit down to read our Bible, I think we're trying to do two things at one time. Because here's the thing, while it is necessary, absolutely essential that you be in your Bible every single day, it is not essential that you do Bible study every single day. Does that make sense? Bible study is something that you should be doing, but not every day. Often, but not every day. And it's something that you do in company with other people, namely people who know what they're talking about. People who have been to school, people who have training. That's Bible study, and we do it with resources, highlighters, commentaries, the works. What you're doing when you get out your Bible in the morning and sit with your coffee is something different. That's devotional reading, not academic reading. And they're different. Devotional reading, and there's academic reading. And I think the struggle for a lot of us is that we conflate them, and we're trying to do both of them at the same time. So I sit down, and I open up my Bible, And immediately I'm confronted by food sacrifice to idols or something happening in Caesarea Philippi. And I don't know anything about Caesarea Philippi. And I don't eat idol meat, so I can't relate to what you're talking about. Or I run into something I don't understand. And immediately I think to myself, well, I can't get anything out of this, so I'm going to stop. And we shut it down. Or we start flipping furiously through our study Bible in order to read about Caesarea Philippi, and then we've used up the 15 minutes that we allotted for Bible study time, 
And now you've learned something about Caesarea Philippi that you're going to forget anyway. And it has no impact. So here's what I'm going to suggest that we adopt as a practice as a church. It is a form of spiritual or devotional reading that Christians have been practicing for centuries. Chris has been talking about it for the last few weeks. We call it Lectio Divina. You don't have to call it that. You can call it devotional reading of your Bible. But I'm going to put the steps up on the screen so that we can look at them together. And I can tell you what it looks like for me when I sit down to do it. Some of you read the daily office for your daily Bible reading plan. That's what you read every single day. Some of you don't read the daily office. You read other things. That's fine. Either way, I'm going to talk through my process of reading the daily office. There are four readings assigned for the daily office every single day. An Old Testament, a New Testament, a Psalm, and a Gospel. You cannot do Lectio Divina with all four of those passages of Scripture. You just can't. I don't care if you're the Apostle Paul himself. You cannot get through all four of those passages meaningfully in the 20 minutes that you've allotted. And you need 20 to 30 minutes. 15 on a really hard day, but as a rule, 20 to 30, where we sit down with our Bible. Every day I get it out and I read through the first four. I just read them. I don't think deep thoughts. I just read them. And then after I'm finished reading them, I choose one that stood out to me for whatever reason, something that spoke to me specifically. And I go back to it, and I find that reading, and I go through the steps of Lectio with that specific reading. Therefore, the first one is this. You read it slowly. More slowly than you think you need to. Slow enough to be able to say what's happening. If somebody were to ask you what just happened in what you read, you could tell them. Read that slowly. Then secondly, you're going to meditate on what you read. That does not mean empty your mind. That does not mean do something mystical or magical. It simply means I'm going to call to mind something that stood out to me, an image, a word, an idea. And if there's nothing that stood out to you, some days there just aren't, that's fine. Find something to memorize. Like if we were using the text that we read today as our Lectio, There might not be anything about that text that specifically or uniquely speaks to you, that moves you. But it would be really good for you just to spend the time committing Paul's language to memory. I fought the good fight. I ran the race. I've kept the faith. And just turn it over and over and over again in your mind. What did he mean? That's meditation. And when I am thinking about those things, then I spend time praying through how they connect with my life. That's the third step, prayer, related to what you're meditating on. And then fourthly, I think through how I'm going to live prayerfully in light of this thing. The other day, I did Lectio with a reading from 2 Samuel 18. It is full of Old Testament it's a story that, of names that we don't know and events that we're not sure what are happening. And even without understanding the full context of what was going on or names or places, I was able to hear the Lord using a specific image and idea related to my life and what was happening. Y'all, this is an issue of faith. Can you believe? Can you just trust That with the limits of your knowledge and your understanding that the Lord can in fact and will speak to you using his word. 
that he wants to meet you, not so that you can know more, but so that you can have a revelation of him and yourself. If we can start here and together as a church make a commitment to say every single day we are going to keep company with Jesus in his word and through prayer as a starting point, I feel so full of hope and anticipation about what that might mean for us, for you, in your life with God. Let's stand together if we're able. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.